Philippians chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 21. <coughs> For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I am or whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So again, starting in 21, as we went through this several weeks ago, uh, we're looking at a statement by Paul, which is basically the essence uh, of the Christian life, of uh, the attitude that we are to have, or the mindset we are to have, uh, that to live on in this life, in the flesh, uh, is, is Christ, is to glorify Christ, to live for Christ. To die is gain, because if we die, we are in the immediate presence of the Lord. Um, Paul then describes that he has this dilemma. Uh, he really wants to be with the Lord. Uh, you know, remember, he's been left for dead several times. Uh, he's been through a lot in his life. He's getting older. Uh, he's looking forward to that time. But he shares with, these, with this church, with the people at Philippi, his, uh, his dilemma that he has, because he really loves and cares for them. And he knows that even though it would be great if he was to die and leave and be with the Lord, that it's more important for them that he stay. He still has much more work to do, and he wants them to know that, that he's willing to do that. He wants to do that. Uh, and so we see, again, the kind of attitude that Paul had when it comes to uh, this life and the way he views death and the way he views the purpose that God has given him. So then in verse 27, this is where we're going to begin this evening. After he tells him all of this, uh, remember he said that uh, he, he's looking forward to really basically coming to see them again. And whether he actually sees them in person or not, he wants to hear that they're growing and maturing in the faith as believers. So whichever way that goes, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So remember what I said last week, is that even though we often, uh, when we read the scripture, it's not wrong to do this, we apply it to ourselves individually, we want to make sure we understand that he's addressing them as a group. And he wants, you know, it's a, it's a collective thing. Uh, what he's saying is he wants them to stand together. Uh, this is the idea of, of, of this body of believers being united uh, as they face the various difficulties that they're going to face because they're Christians. So they need to, be, they need to have the same mindset. They need, to, they need to be of the same attitude in their, in their love for Christ and the desire to serve Christ and to glorify Christ. Uh, that's what he wants to see uh, in these individuals. So when he says in verse 27 of one mind, 
The Greek word that's for one mind is suke. It's where we get our word psychology from. Uh, it is the word soul. And so basically when he says you are uh, with one mind, or he could say with one soul, striving side by side for the faith. So it's one soul. Uh, basically, I guess you could use the modern uh, translation. They would be soulmates or one life. So basically, he's indicating that this unity that they have with each other needs to extend, not just from an outward unity they have, but that, again, the same mind. They should have the same attitude where they're thinking the same way when it comes to how they approach life uh, and what they do. Um, that's why it's always a very sad thing when churches go through conflict where churches split. Because what that shows the world is that they are not of one mind. Now, when it comes to that, if the issue happens to be doctrinal, in other words, let's say, like, it's, it's happened in several big denominations recently, like with the, the Methodists and the Lutherans, where it's coming down to who is Christ, how does one get saved, do you have to believe in Jesus, even though they, there's some other issues they say that are central to their splitting, it really does come down a lot of times to the basic fundamentals. So then when a group leaves the church over those doctrinal issues, that's the correct thing they should be doing. That's the right thing in those instances. The sad thing is churches also split for other reasons. They don't like the pastor, or they, the, the church got new carpet and some of them don't like the color, or they don't like that they, had the, they bought a new piano and they put the piano on the side where the organ was and took the organ out. Churches really do split over that, where they have a meeting and they're trying to decide that, and they start going at it, and next thing you know, the church is divided, people are calling each other up, can you believe they're doing that? I mean, it's just crazy. And this goes on and on and on. So, uh, that really hampers what we are to do as a church. Remember that what we are to do individually, we are to do collectively. So wherever you go as an individual, you do represent Christ. You have a responsibility to, uh, to live out what it means to be a Christian. Uh, we are to, uh, we want others to see that we belong to Christ, that we're committed to Christ. But what we also want to happen is we want others to see that when we are together, the idea would be so that if Ron and I are out together, we want people to see that we, that, that the friendship we have goes beyond just the fact that we're both old. Right? It, goes, it goes beyond the fact that we just like maybe the same things, which I don't even know if we do, but, we, but there is something we do like. We both actually love and like the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bible, we, and we want others to see that. Right? That's important. In fact, maybe it's even more important that they recognize that we are different on some things where people are wondering, why are they friends? It's because of Christ, and that we have the same mindset when it comes to that. There was a, a time in the jail... When I, was, uh, when I was teaching, uh, that on weekends I would have different individuals come, I had a discipleship dorm, and different individuals would come in and they would speak to the men on the Sunday. So I had a friend, a uh, pretty good friend of mine, but he's, he's different than I am theologically. He's charismatic. I'm, I'm not. Uh, we're clear on the gospel, but we're different. So on this particular day, um, I think some inmates, that you know, there are certain things that 
the inmates would kind of get into a squabble about for various reasons. A lot of times it would be over certain kinds of issues because of either how they were raised or something they've heard, churches they attended. But the squabble was over this idea of, of <coughs> praying in tongues. And my stance is the Bible doesn't know about that. The Bible doesn't teach that. There's just no such thing as that. It doesn't exist. But there are churches that do teach that there's such a thing as that. So I think a couple of inmates found that out and knew that this guy was different than I was. And so they asked him on the weekend um, what he thought about tongues and praying in tongues. And so uh, even though we had all of our volunteers, they would not go into real controversial areas because these guys need the Lord. They don't need to know what the, how you settle that argument. But if they ask, you, you can. You know, I don't want people to lie. Tell them what you believe. So he told them. He said, hey, he said, uh, I believe this, da 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 well, one of the guys that knew what I, um, what I believed raised his hand and said, you know, Chaplain Bob doesn't believe that. Now, this is what my friend said. He said, oh, I know, but he's my brother, and I love him. Now, I didn't know that happened. So Monday rolls around. I come into work. We do what we always do. They, they rearrange the dorm. I go in. And I teach. And I would normally teach for like 90 minutes or whatever. And if we had time, if they weren't bringing lunch yet, you know, we would have answer and questions. Answer and, and questions and answers. And so then during that time, this guy brought up, he said, hey, you had a guy come in Sunday. Well, I knew who the guy was. And uh, they said, we asked him about praying in tongues and da 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 And the guy said, you know, chaplain, he didn't believe what you believe. And I said, oh, you're talking about my friend James. I said, yeah, I know. I said, and I didn't know he said this. And I just said, but you know, I said, he's my brother. I love him. We talked about it. I said, it's, it's not an essential thing. I said, because we both love the Lord. And then a bunch of the guys just busted out laughing. And I go, what's so funny? And they said, chaplain, these guys trying to cause division in the dorm, and it's not going to work. And I said, what do you... What are you talking about? So then they told me what happened. And I thought it was so cool. But that was exactly what his answer was and what my answer was. And so, I, <laughs> so then after I got all that cleared up, I looked at the guys that were trying to stir it up. And I said, I said, uh, you know what Jesus said? And they go, what's that? I go, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> and they go, whoa, chaplain. <laughs> and I said, no, that's what he said. So anyway. So the, the thing is, is that the unity that we have as believers, really, it really is important. Uh, and the Bible talks about that a great deal. That it is something that there's, we may not always think about it, but there's a strength to it. And non-believers, not every single one of them, but non-believers see something that we may even take for granted. Because the Bible will talk about this idea that when others see our good works, meaning collectively what we do together and this unity, they recognize that God has sent the Son. Now, I, I'm like, how do you see that? But remember, it's not just that we're doing these few things in a vacuum. We, were, we are Christians. We're a church. We are doing these things. And, and we normally will say we're doing these things because we love the Lord. You, you, you'll never meet, even if somebody goes to a church that's not so good, you won't meet somebody who... They're out doing some kind of thing in the community for their church where they say, when you ask them, well, why are you doing this? They say, well, 
because we're, we're pretty good people. In fact, I, I'm one of the better ones here. You don't hear any of that. What you hear is, well, we're a church, and we love the Lord, and, we, and the Lord wants us to do good. Something like that. But that's what's going to be said consistently. And what people recognize is these people are driven by their religion, by their love for the Lord. Um, sometimes individuals will say they don't see that, but often when I listen to like the man on the street kind of interviews, there are certain individuals who I think they're, they're trying to poke the bear. They're purposely misstating what they know to be true. Because when I hear other people talk who aren't Christians, they all see it clearly. Well, I, I think it's kind of cool that these people, like, man, they love God and they're, they're doing all these things and they, they don't want anything in return. They're seeing it. You know, their life it may not be changing, but they're seeing it. They're recognizing it. And I think that's awesome. And that's exactly what God says. So this is what Paul is doing. Paul knows that they're going to go through some difficult times. He is, remember, he's, he's been arrested for being a Christian. He's in jail. He writes this letter from jail. Uh, you know, there's people who purposely misrepresent what he says. There are those who actually want him dead. There's, you know, there's a hatred for him. He's been accused of turning his own race against themselves. You know, he's, you know they, they say he's guilty of, of committing treason against his own people, the Jewish people. It's interesting that in, uh, when I was in Mauritius, the several believers that I met who had come out of Hindu homes, uh, their Hindu parents or, and Hindu relatives, that's exactly what they accuse them of. They accuse them of denying their race. They accuse them of uh, basically betraying their own people uh, because they've become a Christian. It's just interesting that that's exactly what's going on. And so then they, they, they treat them a lot of times with, with uh, either a hatred or a great mistrust or all of the above um, as a result of that. So there's a lot of that that goes on. We just don't experience it here. But in other countries, that's actually very common for Christians to experience some form of persecution because they become a Christian. Yes, Mike. Well, it is. I mean, it, part of that has to do with, with, with the freedom that we have here. The freedom is great, uh, and I wouldn't really want to trade that for anything else. But, um, yes, in most non-Western countries, they openly admit and practice and believe it's normal for your religion and your everyday life to be completely intertwined. Only in America and Western nations do you have this idea that you separate the secular from the religious. Like, well, yeah, we go to church on Sunday. Well, I think it was John F. Kennedy was the first one to say this because when he was running for office, people were worried because he was a, he was a Catholic. And so there, people were, there were rumors, oh, yeah, he becomes president, the Pope's going to tell him what to do. And that was going around on the news. And so he came out and said that he, he, he said, I don't know if he said he guaranteed, but the idea was, is, as he spoke to the American people during his speeches or campaign or whatever, that he would keep his religion separate from his politics. Now, in other countries, if people heard that, they would say, well, then we can never vote for this man because he's a, he's a liar and deceitful. Because they can't, they, they think, why would you do that? If you separate your, your religion from any aspect of life, then you're a phony somewhere. Um, but in America, they, oh, that's, that's what we want to hear. Well, not us, but I mean, many people want to hear that. So yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a big deal. That's why you'll find in, in many countries, again, non-Western primarily, that there tends to be an openness to talk about religion. 
Now, that doesn't always mean they want to hear about Christianity, but to talk about religion, they like to do that. Uh, they want to get into the, more so Muslims, I think, than anyone else. Hindus aren't always uh, wanting to talk about if they think that you're going to try to proselytize them. Uh, but, but the Muslims, they're up for that. Uh, they're, ready, they're ready to engage in those kind of things. And they don't, they don't see a problem with that. There's no shame. Uh, in fact, they would, they would consider that to be normal uh, in life when it comes to these things. So again, this is, this is here what Paul is, is talking about. Um, he wanted this group, these believers, to, be, uh, to focus on their opposition again. In countries today where there's a lot of oppression, where it's been really ratcheted up, you will find there among Christians, they are a tight-knit group. I mean, they are there for each other. You don't have, you don't have to say a word. They, are, they support each other because they're all facing the same thing. You know, they're facing arrest. They're facing torture. They're facing death. Um, so they are, they are on the same page. Um, and they are there to help each other and do whatever's necessary um, and again, they're, but they're also of the same mind, so that if you were to take one out and talk to him about the religious convictions, what you would hear is the same thing you hear from the next guy, uh, that they love the Lord, that they believe in the gospel, and they're not going to renounce it no matter what you do to them, kind of a thing. Um, and it can, it can be really very uh, encouraging, to say the least. And when that happens, that also makes everyone, I believe, stronger, right? There's, there is strength found when we talk about strength found, being found in numbers, it's not just necessarily if there's an actual battle and there's strength in the numbers that you have fighting on your side, but even psychologically, there is a strengthening that takes place when we're all being persecuted for being Christians, we're all in this boat together, uh, there is a sense of solidarity that just kind of naturally comes because we are being attacked. You know, you attack one, you attack us all because it's very focused. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I do think that in some cases, maybe a lot, part of Satan's ploy, even in America, is not necessarily to have too much overt uh, oppression against Christianity, because we'll unite. And he doesn't want that. He, he doesn't want that. He wants us to be divided. And so that's what he's doing now. So all this transgender stuff and all that crazy stuff that's going on, it's all that's creeping into the churches. And what's, what is that doing? It's, people are separating. It, and we could see it clearly just when it came to something simple like COVID. When, when the restrictions started coming out with COVID and people had their opinions, which it's America, you have a right to your opinion. But people started getting upset. Whichever side you were on, right? Whether you were on the, you know, these lockdowns are wrong and da 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 da. And I lean that way. But anyway, then there are those who, oh yeah, whatever the government says, we got to do. You know, we, we know it's safety first, which can be almost cultish. But anyway, that whole, but that whole idea, what happened was is people then started getting angry with each other and taking sides. There's even to this day, there are some Christians I know of, in their families, there are people who won't talk to them because they were on the wrong, whatever the wrong side is in, in this arena. And this, some of it still goes on even when it comes to the COVID vax. You know, people, ha again, they have their opinion about what that is or what it's not or what have you. And still in some families, if, uh, if you've been vaccinated or you've not been vaccinated, whatever the case may happen to be, there's a division there. Well, we, they're, you're not, they're not going to talk to you. They're not going to do whatever because of that issue. And so if something really that simple is going to cause that kind of division among Christians, man, what's going to happen uh, when it comes to things that are really important? 
And, and what we see taking place is an erosion, um, which I think is just actually more revealing that uh, for many, our convictions from the scripture aren't all that strong. They're not as strong as they should be. Uh, people, have a, people have believed certain things for a long time, never really knew why. And so that, that lack of a foundation erodes really fast in the face of pressure. Uh, we, you know, we all know that we should not be guided by what we think people think about us. I'm not saying it's completely unimportant, but it can't be important. And it is in the lives of many people. All it takes is a few people to band together to mock you and people sometimes just melt like butter. And it's just like they try to find a way to back out of this idea that I'm a Christian and I'm standing on the Bible and that kind of thing. So mockery, I think, really is the primary method that the evil one is using now to cause uh, many Christians or those who call themselves Christians to kind of fall by the wayside. And uh, so the church then is, is ha it is, in America, it's dwindling. Uh, not, not fast. There's still many people getting saved. Um, you know, there, I think, I think uh, every, I'm trying to remember the stats. So you can't quote me on this, so I'm, I'm generally close. So in America, I think five new churches start every week. That's really cool. Of course, you have to remember that nine churches close every week. Right? They close their doors, and that's it. All kind of reasons. Sometimes, you know, everybody gets old and dies, and there's no one left. Sometimes, you know, a, a town loses their factories or whatever, and so jobs go away, and the town, that does happen. But, but there's other reasons as well. Um, and uh, after the lockdowns from COVID, uh, I believe that just generally speaking, across the board, attendance at churches was down by about 35%, and they're not, they haven't recovered. The, you know, not every church, but many. You know, if they, had to, if they had 100, they now have 65. If they had 1,000, they now have 650. And it's happening a great deal. Yes? Huh? Correct. And right. Yeah, they were getting information, but the the Lord the Lord is more concerned of, is more concerned than just the information we're getting. The idea is living the life together. So yes, ma'am. <laughs> ma yes, absolutely. Now, if we need to, you can come here with your pajamas on, but if people give you strange looks, it's not on me. <laughs> <laughs> one pastor said this he said too often a local body of believers depends on the pastor to contend for the faith or they depend upon the elders or some other small group in the church but Paul is making it clear to the Philippians that every believer in Philippi was to be involved in advancing the cause of Christ so again that's something all of us do we all have there's different groups of people that we different groups of people we, we hang out with. We come across different groups. Um, so all of us are to be involved in sharing the Lord, talking about the Bible. Again, you don't have to be obnoxious about it. 
you, you don't have to be awkward. You don't have to force yourself on people. It, it can be just a natural part of, of your conversation uh, and your day. But if you've, but if you're, if you've, been, I would just say this in general. So if you've been at the same job for five years and you've been a Christian that whole time, and you've never once opened your mouth about the Lord, you need to begin to pray because something's wrong somewhere. Now, doesn't mean you're a chicken. Doesn't mean that. But what you do need to do is ask God, A, give you opportunities, and B, give you the ability to see the opportunities. Because we don't always see them. And they can be small. Remember, I, I'm convinced that, that one of the main ways to do that, again, is by doing good works. The Bible talks about that, being kind to people. That opens the door. People, people are people. We ask questions. And if you do something unusual for someone, they're normally going to ask you, why are you doing this? What a great opportunity. That's because I'm a Christian. That's not what they're expecting to hear. They may not even, in fact, sometimes people get upset about that. Well, I didn't ask you about your religion. Say, well, no, but you ask why I'm doing this. This is the reason. It's and you can, just, you can say it however you would want to say it. But the idea is that God has done much good for us. God has met our need through other people. So don't go the secular way and say, well... You know, I remember long, about 10 years ago, I met a guy named Matt. And Matt did something really good for me. And when we left, he said, you know, Bob, you don't have to pay me back. But one day you're going to find somebody in need and you need to do good for them. And people do that. But that's, that, don't do that. Even if that happens. It's no, it's because of what the Lord has done. Even if Matt was a non-believer and he helped me, a believer, do you, are you going to tell me that God had nothing to do with that? <laughs> Because he did. God uses non-believers in the Bible. The Bible says that God has, basically he turns the king whichever way he wants. All right? So, you know, either God really is God. That's, that's why the definition of God is so important. And, I'll, and, I, and I, when people say they believe in God, I'll ask them what they mean by that. And sometimes I'll say this. I'll preface what I'm about to say with, well, if God is God, and then people, many people go, well, what, what do you mean by that? If God is God. It's because their definition is usually very short of what a God would be. If God is a real God, that means that there is nothing more powerful than him. That means his will is always done. <clears throat> nothing catches him by surprise. I mean, you go through all those things, this is, and just, you can just take the main, you know, there's all these attributes that God has. The three main ones, I guess I would call them the main ones, is God knows everything, God is everywhere at once, and God is all-powerful. If he's not those three things, he's not God. All right? And so then we want that individual to understand that, so then they recognize, because many individuals, especially non-believers, their view of God is not very strong. They don't even know what they're talking about. It's just, in their mind, it's just someone who's basically superior. So remember, God is not just basically superior than us. He far surpasses anything and everything we are, period. I mean, there is no other being that's even close to him. So, when you, so if that's who we're talking about, then, then, and then once we got that, then we can have a conversation about who is God, what God has done, and that God is responsible for all these good things happening to me, and the reason why I'm helping you is because this God, who's the God of everybody, whether you acknowledge him or not, has commanded me to do good to others, and that's why I'm doing good for you. And we go from there. And we 
give them the information, we ask God to bless it, and uh, that person has a responsibility uh, to either believe the truth, look more into the truth, or just push down the truth like they've been doing their whole life, which is what Romans 1 says. I don't know if you ever heard of this, well, you probably heard the name. You may or may not be familiar with his life. Uh, there's a, a German Lutheran pastor in World War II named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, when you, read, when you read about how things began with Hitler and his movement in Germany in the mid-1930s, and then going on from there, and you, and you read about what was going on in the culture, not just economically, but what was going on in the culture during all that time. Again, Germany was very severely punished for World War I. I mean, they, the hammer was dropped on them for what they did in World War I. And as a result, it crushed the nation in every way. And many believe, and I believe it's correct, that a great deal of the rise of Hitler in World War II was due to the, 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 uh, the environment was, was rich for that to happen. Because the people were overwhelmingly oppressed economically. Uh, their standing in the world was low. There was no national pride. Uh, they were, inflation was out of control. You may have seen uh, or heard the story where there's someone with a wheelbarrow full of cash and that's what it would take to buy a loaf of bread. And according to the story, a guy had a wheelbarrow full of cash and put it down and went in for a moment. When he came back out, the cash was there, the wheelbarrow was gone because the wheelbarrow was of greater value than all that cash. Right? So, so they were in a bad way economically. It's hard for us to understand how bad it was it's kind of like maybe the pictures you see that go on sometimes in Venezuela or maybe sometimes in Russia where the grocery store shelves are just bare. Um, just, there's just nothing there. And people, people, that, people change when all that goes on. Anyway, so when Hitler rose to power, and here's this guy coming along and telling him that, that, that the world is against them because they really are a great people. People like to hear that. And, and we're going to take back what's ours. People like to hear that. We're no longer going to let them oppress us like they are. People like to hear that. And as all this popularity was rising, even though he was very underhanded, obviously, deceitful, and all things were going on in the mid-30s, the Lutheran church, in general, really didn't say much. So in time, what happened was, in, in the churches, and I'm not sure if it was all the same, but you have a, a set-up pen like this, but then you have the flag of the Third Reich would be up on the platform. And there, there was some sense where national pride was a big part of the church service. It was an attitude that was being developed during that time. And during that time, no one was speaking, they were at least not speaking against what was going on. There's a story in a, in a, in a, a book written by Erwin Lutzer called Hitler's Cross. And there was a, a story of a church, I'm sure it's not the only one, but the story of a church where, where they were located in the city, there was a, a major railroad that was like almost outside their door. Well, during this time, it was pretty well known that the Jews were being shipped off to these death camps. And when these trains would go by where the boxcars were stuffed with people, you could hear People yelling, screaming, wailing, crying, and all of that. And there, on this particular on, on a Sunday, there was a certain time when the train would go by, um, 
And the people inside the church building could not only hear the train, they could hear that. They all knew what it was. So the church arranged their service, so because the, tra the trains at least always ran on time, that they would be singing hymns when the, tr when the train went by, and the goal was to get them to sing louder so they would not hear that. That's kind of the response of the church in general when that was taking place during that time. So uh, when that was happening, Bonhoeffer was one of those guys, he's, a, he's not perfect, but he's a real Christian, and all that deeply bothered him. And so he was involved with a small group of individuals that were, that were uh, planning and actually uh, carried out an attempt to assassinate Hitler. He was just personified evil. He was a dictator. He had to go. And so remember there was a, uh, Hitler was with some of his generals, and they were at basically in a glorified cabin, and they were working on some plans, and a bomb went off. A guy went in with a brief, briefcase, put it on the table. He left, the bomb went off. I don't know if anyone died, but Hitler either was out of the room, he wasn't even affected. Um, and so the conspirators were arrested, and Bonhoeffer was one of them. Uh, in fact, Bonhoeffer was hung for what he did, and when he was hung, it was one day before the Germans surrendered, uh, which is, people are kind of like, oh. So that's who that guy was. Um, uh, I believe a very godly man. So again, he was in prison for standing up to Hitler, um, and he wrote a book called Life Together. And so he gives seven principles that help Christians live together. So this is coming out of that setting. Um, so I, th I think kind of helps maybe add some, some weight to what he's talking about, because in the churches, even though the churches, some of them would sing louder when the trains would go by, not every person there is on board with what's happening. And there are people other in other churches, maybe smaller <coughs> churches, that are, maybe they were wondering what to do, they felt trapped, a lot of things were going on. So th there can be obviously a lot of division in a church when, when it comes down to politics. So I have those there in your notes, all seven of these. So we'll go through them. Uh, he says, number one, hold their tongues, refusing to speak uncharitably about a Christian brother. So let's say that, uh, so um, I don't preach politics, but I'm conservative, so that means I normally, I'm not going to be voting uh, on the Democrat, but anyway, uh, I don't always like who's running on the Republican side. Actually, I rarely like anybody, but anyway. So let's just say that Ron's a Democrat. You love that already, don't you? <laughs> and, and so I'm talking to Matt, and so I'm talking despairingly about him because he's a Democrat. That's sinful. Even if everything I tell him is true, that's sinful. Because my attitude and the way I'm doing it, I'm doing it to to disparage him. That's wrong. And so, and that's why when it comes to these political things, even things we've gone through with COVID, we have to be charitable. So if, I, so if I'm talking to Ron, we're talking about, let's say, the vaccine. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the mRNA vaccine. You want to get into it with me? We can talk about it. But, but let's say, that, so I'm not, and let's say that he is. And not only has he gotten the vaccine, he thinks it's a good idea for everyone to get the vaccine. All right? I don't agree with that. But I'm not going to talk about him despair. I'm not going to say, you know, Ron's just dumb. I'm not going to do that. All right? I can, now, I can say we disagree. I can say I think he's wrong. 
And he can say he thinks I'm wrong, but we don't speak ill of each other because we're different on this. It's really important. Um, and again, the reason why I use COVID is, and I'm, I, maybe you've not been involved in this, maybe you've not seen it. Man, I have people, they, like I said already, they get hot. They get really, really upset. You know, they, because in, in the media, they'll say things like, well, if you don't get the vaccine, that means you want people to die. That is not what that means. I go, yeah, you want to give them the COVID virus, you want to kill them. No, that's actually not true. Uh, but what happens, people pick up that rhetoric. We're Christians. We must be thinking very differently. And what guides us is not just the idea of being charitable. It's why are we being charitable? We're being charitable because we know what is the most important thing, which is what? In general, glorifying Christ. The souls of individuals are much more important. How we treat each other is important for the cause of Christ. It's more important than who we vote for or don't vote for or any of those things. And that's what should be driving us in the way that we conduct ourselves. So we're not asking anyone to be a clone. We're not asking, we're not asking anyone to, be, to keep all their opinions to themselves. What we're saying is, is to be wise when you express your opinion and the way you express your opinion. And so there will be times when the best course of action is to say nothing. Because it doesn't matter. If I convince Ron to believe everything I believe about the vaccine for COVID, what have I accomplished? Not much. That might make me feel good for three minutes, but I don't accomplish anything. And so we do need to think about those things. Um, and but again, you can do so without compromising who you are. You most definitely can do that. Um, that's what we want to make sure that we go by. And of course, that can apply obviously to whatever the issues may be, but the bottom line is that's how we want to, uh, to approach it. Number two, cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that they, like Paul, are the greatest sinners and can only live in God's sight by his grace. So there's no room for arrogance among any, any brothers and sisters in Christ. None of us are better than anyone else, period. I may know more than some people. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I know more. That, that doesn't make me better, right? It doesn't make me better than them. I'm just different than them. And so there needs to be this, this, remember, Jesus was very humble, and Jesus only knew everything. How did he treat people? Very kindly, very patiently. The only, the only people he came down hard on was those who said and were supposed to know better. And he came down hard on the religious leaders. I mean, man, he, there was no slack, which kind of goes along with what the Bible says. What does it say? Be careful. Don't be in a hurry to be a teacher, because you receive what? Stricter judgment. Jesus following what God's always said. It's not a new thing. So we want to make sure that there's this humility here. So we're not looking to have our ego fed in any way, shape, or form. Our egos are totally unimportant. Uh, what we understand is that no matter how much I think I know or how good I think I am, the only reason that I can uh, stand before the Lord when I die and go to heaven is because of the grace of God. And that really is true. That's not just some nice thing we're saying because we're supposed to. That's reality, uh, and that reality should really go deep into our hearts uh, as individuals. Number three, listen long and patiently 
so they will understand their fellow Christians' need. So, you know, as I say, listen twice as much as you speak. God gave us two ears, one mouth. Um, the whole idea is you want to try to, you want to, you want to listen to understand. All right? You don't want to listen to reply. All right? That's how we, because that's how we normally do it. If, like, if, I guarantee if Matt and I got into a discussion back and forth, sometimes, I think we both would do this. We're listening to reply. Man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm evaluating what he said. I'm going to jump on this and jump on that. He's listening to me, and he's going to jump on this and jump on that. But it's okay, because we're friends, so it doesn't a big deal. All right? But when we're trying to, to get to know each other or make sure we're, we're really trying to help each other, you want to listen to understand what they're really saying. So sometimes you have to go beyond their words. Not everybody can communicate real well. Not everybody's real clear. So you ask questions. But we want to listen. So listening is really very important. Um, and, that's, and that was uh, number three for him. And then you can find out what maybe someone's real need is. Uh, number four, <coughs> refuse to consider their time and calling so valuable that they cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. So the idea is, is that, that uh-oh. I guess it's okay. I pushed a button by accident there, Don. Um, so the idea there is that... Um, it doesn't mean that, that we, so you can have a conversation with somebody how sometimes we have a conversation we don't want to be interrupted. And that would be normal, especially if it's like really intense. But at the same time, we also have to be having enough awareness to recognize there may be times, or will be times, when we're going to be interrupted and it's okay. Because somebody has a need, a real need. That's why it's always important to really listen so you know who's interrupting you. Right? You may not always do it right, but we, you know, there's a difference between what really is urgent and what just feels urgent. All right, but we don't want to just, we don't want to have the attitude where we kind of discount people. Uh, and, and it's okay to want to always make sure we're polite, but there are times when it's okay that I guess proper protocol is broken. All right, and we, and we already know that. If, you were, if, if, you, if your kids or grandkids came to this church and you were involved in what you thought was one of the most important discussions there is. And one of your grandkids came up to you and you could tell by the tone of their voice that something was, was wrong. You would not say, Papa's in a conversation. We'll talk later. No, 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 no. It's hold on just a minute. Double check to find out that your wife, because we care about them and them. So same kind of idea when it comes to that. Number five, bear the burden of their brothers and sisters in the Lord, both by uh, preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. <clears throat> so the idea is, is that we are different. We recognize that. We're not trying to control people. We're not trying to manipulate people. Um, we're not trying to curtail um, their involvement or, or, or movement in anything because we don't trust them. We, we need to trust the Lord. And so we're not trying to again, manipulate people or control them. You need to let it go. And that's hard to do. Uh, it becomes easier once you get used to doing that. But you can't control anybody. So just go ahead and recognize that now. <laughs> It'll be a whole lot easier. It'll save you some heartache. Um, and, and again, and if they do abuse whatever freedom of movement you give them, just forgive them. All right? and because we want to make sure we focus on the most important things, whatever they may happen to be. Number six, declare God's word to their fellow believers when they need to hear it. So we, we want to always go back to the word. Always that. 
So let's go back to the, so let's go back to that vaccine thing I'm having with Ron. And let's say that we're having this conversation and Ron, Ron's getting angry about it. So what I'm supposed to do then, in a kind way, not a manipulative way to make to win the argument, is to say, I'd say, Ron, now remember, I don't mind you speaking angrily to me, but you can't speak this way to others because we have a responsibility as Christians. And then say, because the Bible says, boom, boom, boom. That's what we want to make sure that we do. So we want to make sure we're always going back to the Bible. But again, it's not to manipulate, again, the argument so you win. Okay, the idea is so that we can grow together as Christians and, and respond well to others. So then, that, so what should happen is even if we have a heated discussion, which I don't, we don't really, but we ever did, remember there's other people sometimes who are watching and they want to take advantage of that. You know, they're going to be used by the devil to try to split the church. And so someone may come, come up to Ron and say, hey Ron, seems like you and the pastor are really going at it. Is everything Okay. And the whole thing is they want to find out what they want to find out what's happening. And Ron says, "Well, you know, we disagree on the backs, and you know, da 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 da." And then that person says, "Yeah, you know, Ron, the pastor's always trying to push his ideas. <laughs> you know what he's doing? He's trying to he's trying to reel Ron in." And then Ron says, "Well, yeah, I get a little tired of that myself. It's over. He doesn't hook them, <laughs> right? But if Ron says, well, he does have some strong opinions, but he's my brother.'" And so it's okay. We have these discussions all the time. It's just not a big deal. That just kills it. All right? So that's, that's kind, of, kind of what's going on there, is uh, make sure we always get back to the word and the daily application of the word and living it out, both of us. And we do that by reminding ourselves of what the scripture says. And then number seven, understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and does not call attention to the person who performs the service. So it goes back again to... Um, uh, what the Bible, there's a principle in the Bible, we call that uh, servant leadership. That's more than just a fancy name or a fancy label. It really does mean that you lead by serving. It's another way of saying that you lead by example. Right? It's very important for us to do that. Um, uh, so none of us should ever have the idea that there's anything that needs to be done that is too far below us. We just pitch in whenever we need to, if you're physically able. You know, don't do something if you can't do it. Uh, but the idea is, is that um, we want to make sure we meet the needs of others, whatever that need is. And that's how we approach life. That's how we approach each other. Uh, you know, well, what can we do for them? What should we do for them? How do we go about doing that and going from there? And, you know, there's all kinds of things, uh, you know. Um, and, of course, sometimes that may mean when it comes to those who are having all kinds of trouble, it may mean, well, this is how you serve them. You don't give them anything because they have some other issues going on. That could be hard, but if we have understanding, that may be the way. Or it may be, yeah, that individual, like let, let's say some lady has a problem in her home. She's trying to take care of her kids, and she's just overwhelmed for whatever reason. And so some people are going to get together. They're going to go clean her house. What you don't need is some lady said, huh, so the lady can just be lazy and we'll just go clean her house for her? Okay, that would be the wrong attitude. Say, no, we love her. She's clearly overwhelmed. And just because you wouldn't be overwhelmed doesn't mean that she's not truly overwhelmed and we're going to help her. And we're going to do it with a smile. 
<laughs> or whatever. All right, so it, to be very, very practical in that way. Right? The idea is that we are truly, when we're trying to serve each other in whatever way is best to show them really the love of Christ. And that's what we do. Um, and so that, so if we're, if we're thinking of those things, uh, regardless of what is going on in our circumstances, in our nation or our community, uh, then the stance of the church will be better. And we will be that group of people that not everybody in the world is going to notice, but many in the world will notice. They will notice what's going on. And they need to see that. There was one time I was shocked by it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sir. No, you're good. Yeah, we will. And, Absolutely. Um, we're going to need to know that our brothers and sisters are standing beside us. Yes. Especially those who have the courage and conviction to maybe call and question some of the policies and practices, mm -hmm. regardless of what the outcomes may be. So going back to your initial premise, when I read verse 30 and line 15 here, I mean 29, unto you is given in behalf of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I work at an organization that's supposed to be Christian-based. Uh -huh. I mean, they say it's prayer over the intercom every morning. Yeah. But the question came up where a co-worker accused me of questioning her identification because I was concerned about her going to hell. Uh-huh. That's what was told to HR. Yeah. My response was, <laughs> my question wasn't about you know you, what you identify as relative to your soul salvation. Yeah. But to understand you know why might there be conflict in our relationship as coworkers. Yeah. So HR took the opportunity to say that we are not to discuss politics. Uh -huh. We are not to discuss sexuality. We're not to discuss religion. Okay, if we're going to be as great as Paul was, yeah. you know, that's something in me stands up and say, well, when the opportunity presents itself, doing it with decency and order, yep. it doesn't God call us to be that person? That yep. Yeah, so absolutely. When your religious organization that you work for has <laughs> a policy standing against you actually doing that, right. where does that leave you? Right. Yeah, well, where you're left as a Christian is you just follow what the Word of God says and you go from there. I, I'm sure it would not be helpful to point out to them that if you're not allowed to discuss religion, why are they starting the day with prayer? But that might not go over real well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to tell you guys something. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, doesn't matter. All right, so verses uh, 28 29. So then, the result of all of this that we've been talking about in verse 27. He says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So the idea is that together, we will not be afraid of whatever the opponents are saying or planning or doing. And then he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. So you may not think they're thinking that, 
And they may not be thinking that in those actual terms, but this is the word of God, and he's telling us this is what they're aware of. They may never admit it, but it kind of goes back to the, the truth of Romans 1. What's Romans 1 say? Everyone knows for a fact that God does exist. They know that. And it says they suppress the truth. So whenever you listen to the agnostic and the atheist, you know they're not being intellectually honest with themselves or with you. No matter how strongly they feel about it, they may be fooling themselves, but if God says they know that he exists, then that means they know he exists. Period. And as actually, I've listened to testimonies of some individuals who called themselves atheists who did come out and did say, yeah, when I was an atheist, I actually kind of knew in the back of my head that God exists. They'll tell you that. I kind of knew that. You know, I just didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to admit it or what have you. All right? So here he's telling us that our standing together is a sign, a clear sign, to those outside the faith of their destruction. They're going to be destroyed. That We are on the side of God, and they are not. And it's also of, he says, but of your salvation and that from God, that we are what? That we are with the Lord. The Lord has saved us. Because the focus of everything we're doing is not ourselves, it's God. You know, uh, I, what I was going to tell you was this. There's, there's, there's this, I can't remember his, his name. He's a magician, an illusionist. Uh, he's real tall. He's like six foot ten. Uh, he's been around for a long time. Huh? Yes. What's his name again? Pin. Pin something? Pin Gillette. Pin Gillette? Yes. Anyway. So he was, uh, this, this guy was talking to him because a guy went up to him after one of his shows. And the guy started talking about the Lord. And about the gospel. And, I mean, just kept on. And got through the whole thing. And Penn, what he said was this. You know, I have a lot of respect for that guy. He said, I don't believe what he tells me. But he does. And if what he says is correct, then he has a responsibility not only to tell me, but it's actually an act of love that he has for me to take the chance of how I might respond to him by telling me what he believes. I thought, wow, some unbeliever who's honest, who just basically said, yeah, he didn't really like it, but he had respect for the guy and actually acknowledged the, uh, the courage this guy had to, to say what he said. And he said, the guy gave me a Bible, and he says, I'm probably not going to read it, but I accepted the gift, um, and I'm not going to throw it away. I'm not going to throw it in the trash or whatever. Um, but it was just really kind of cool, in a sense, to hear that. sad because he's going to die in his sins and go to hell. Um, and maybe he'll change. Maybe he'll be thinking about that later in life, uh, which can't happen. But the idea is, is that uh, we, we can never assume just because of someone's outward reaction or about what we hear people say that that even is even a true response. Right? We share the gospel as best we can, lovingly and firmly, as clear as we can. We're trusting the Lord for the results. Remember, we don't have to manipulate somebody into the kingdom. And don't be concerned as to whether or not they're going to like you afterwards. They may like you, they may not, they may have no opinion. Don't get caught up with that. Just if we have a, if we have a burden for other people, which we should as believers, we want them to know the truth. We're not trying to get them, right? Even though we want to convert them, we're not trying to convert them. You know, so we don't want to put a notch on our Bible and say, yeah, I got another one. That's not what, that's not what we're doing, all right? 
the goal is is for them to understand that Christ loves them and died for them and and I know you may think uh, you know there's people I can imagine it'd be really great for them to go to hell because of all the evil they've done you know we just have a I mean there's some strong dislike for certain people at the same time even people we hate when if you had the ability to see that individual truly suffering in hell, screaming and yelling, I, my guess is you probably would be moved to pity for them. You, no matter what they've done, you would, it would just, would, whatever they did, you would seem to pale in comparison to what they're going through. <coughs> and that's because we're Christians. You know, we're not there like, yeah, we'll turn up the heat some more. You know, we're not going to do that. Um, because, again, the, our hearts are different. So, um, anyway... That's, that's the idea there. Verse 29, and we'll, we'll close it out. He says, as uh, and our brother read the verse again, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So again, the church as a whole, not every single individual, but the church as a whole, it is the plan of God for us to suffer. Some will suffer greatly. Some will suffer a little. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's a part of life. Um, so don't worry about it. But don't be stunned when it happens. Don't be surprised. Don't be manipulated into anything that you should not do because it's happening. Let's pray. Father, as always, we are grateful for your kindness and grace, and we ask that you would help us, Father, to continue to think through our Christianity as we ought to. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to think about how we are to be with each other, how we are to treat each other, how we are to talk to each other, how we are to talk about each other, how we are to care for each other, how we are to meet each other's needs, how we are to listen to each other, how we are to seek to meet the needs of others. Uh, also, Lord, that we would recognize the responsibility we have to share the word of God with both believers and non-believers. And Father, in one sense, there's a lot on our plate, but nothing you've asked us to do alone. Uh, you're going to help us with all of that, and you've given us each other to share the load and to carry the load. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to work on our hearts and cause us to think about these things in light of our lives and where we live and who we are and what we do. And we ask, Lord, that you would not only help us to decipher uh, this information so that we would be able to live the best life you would have us to live, but, Lord, that you would allow us to gather on Sunday to come and to worship you and to, and to magnify your name. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.